This is Our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hello and welcome to this edition of Our People Podcast. My name is Liz Davies and I'm the Director of Communications here at South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by our new chair, Alison Thompson. Welcome, Alison. Thank you for joining us. I've seen you, but it's actually been six months now uh, since you became our new uh, chair of the organisation. So we're going to have a conversation today just to get to know a little bit more about you um, and for people listening to find out more about you as a person uh, and what, I guess, the role of the chair does within the organisation. So lots of things for us to cover. Um, we'll just get stuck in, if that's all right. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to You're do this. Very welcome. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself first then, Alison? So, um, you know, a bit about your background, how you came to be involved with the NHS? Okay, sometimes I, I really wonder how I've ended up doing what I'm doing today. Um, so my background is um, I was born in Wardley Gateshead but went to school in South Tyneside. So I'm a St. Joseph's girl, so there'll be lots of people probably who would know St. Joseph's. Um, And when I left there, um, I went to Teesside University and did business and economics. Had never done business and economics before, so that was all new to me, but I've kind of learned along the way that I really like to push myself out of my comfort zone. Fortunately, um, I think I became quite good at it um, and I had some options to look at marketing, finance or HR and actually I've probably done a combination of all of those things but my real passion was marketing. So that's where um, my career really started Um, and as soon as I graduated I joined Northern Rock which was a building society at the time went through quite considerable change to become a bank. Um, And as everybody would know, it went through quite considerable change during the financial crisis and Northern Rock kind of led the way during that really difficult period, which started for Northern Rock in 2007. Um, While the bank was really successful, um, I was for seven years the marketing director Um, keeping very customer focused and um, um, creating new products uh, was the mainstay of what I did and getting out really great communications. So that is really my background and my bag. After the bank collapsed, I became the chief operating officer and the HR director. So I got very much involved in the leadership and then the splitting of the bank and deciding strategically where we were going before we handed the keys over to Virgin Money. Wow, quite a varied <laughs> portfolio uh, and really big issues you had to manage and, and deal with there. Yeah. How did you then become involved in, um, I guess, the NHS from, from that background? Yeah, so um, I left Northern Rock when we handed the keys over to Virgin Money to take the bank for, forward. They were really keen to keep me, but I thought, you know, I'd had five years of very high profile crisis management in many respects. So I was the lead person in looking um, at the strategic change and working with the Bank of England, the regulator, 
and also the Treasury at the time. So um, I left in January 2012. I thought at that time I would retire, even though I was only in my mid-40s. My husband always said I probably wouldn't, and he was right. <laughs> so a couple of months later, I was approached by, um, by a number of people to ask me, would I join their boards or do different things? And I resisted it for quite a while till the big one came along, which was the NHS in South Tyneside. And um, I felt really drawn to that for a whole host of reasons. The first one was um, I had both of my children at South Tyneside Maternity Unit. Um, and I really feel passionate about the values of the NHS and... I thought, wow, this is something entirely different to what I'd done before. But I just felt the draw to be a public servant as well after what I'd done previously um, and really wanted to support the population within South Tyneside and give something back. And this was before we merged and before we became South Tyneside and Sunderland Foundation Trust. So you were involved with the previous... South Tyneside Foundation Trust, is that right? Yes, So you go way back. I go way back, (laughs) yes. So it's now 10 years since I've earned my NHS spurs, really. Wow, I think you must get a pin badge for that or something. (laughs) So now you're our chair, um, which you took on that role from April this year. What does a chair actually do for people listening um, who might not be, I guess, familiar? They'll know, you know, we have a chair as the organisation, but what does a chair of a big organisation like a foundation trust do? What does your day job look like and what are the things you have to manage and deal with? Okay, so so the chair is very different to a non-exec director because that's the role that I had at South Townside um, and also when post-merger um, I had that role um, in the South Tyneside and Sunderland Merged Foundation Trust. The role of the chair, I think, is more public. Um, and um, I'm very much working in partnership with the chairs in the rest of the region. Um, so that's a big part of the role that I do. And um, I've gone out and about and introduced myself to all of the other chairs as well, just to say hello and really understand from a strategic point of view, what keeps them awake at night within their own trusts. So I've met with um, Newcastle, Northumbria, (coughs) Gateshead, um, and I've got a a whole host of different people to see as well within within, uh, Teesside. I've also met with Durham as well. So so that is a big part of the job, kind of being the the external face at a regional partnership level. But I guess the biggest part of the job is about um, leadership within the organisation and making sure that as a board, we have the right mix of people on that board with different people from different backgrounds, with different skills, knowledge and expertise to bring to the board. So our role is to to remain totally independent from the organisation, but at the same time, make sure that we are delivering our strategic objectives. And I'm sure we'll get onto it, but I know we've just launched our, our five-year we strategy. Have. And we were very much involved in that. And our role is very much as a leadership role to ensure that all of the different parts of the trust, and bearing in mind we're two acute hospitals, we're an eye infirmary, we're community services, and we actually work in partnership with the local authorities as well that we serve as well. So 
Sometimes I think when people think, oh, you work for a hospital, they just immediately think of the big hospital, which is Sunderland, which of course is incredibly important. But I guess it gives me a, a dimension because I've come from South Tyneside to really think about kind of the wider population and the community services, which have always been outstanding, I'm very proud to say. Absolutely. I think it's an interesting point you raise there because many people, when they think about the NHS, they, there's a fixation and a, people tend to think about hospitals, but most of the care that we deliver, not only as a trust, but you know, in, in primary care as well, it, it's, it's outside the hospital buildings, but uh, it's interesting that you should say, should say that as well. Um, so you mentioned, I guess, just sticking on the role of chair, um, so I guess you work closely with Ken, the chief executive, and, and the other directors of the board. Can you say a bit, little bit about um, the work you do with the Council of Governors as well, for people who might not understand how that works, that yes. are listening? Because um, that's an important, I guess, part of the role of a chair as well, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. So my appointment, um, I went through um, uh, an appointments procedure and an interview, and the appointment is actually by the the governors. So the governors sit above the board and hold us to account for delivering our services to the publics that we serve. And I think that is a really good thing because it keeps us very accountable. So for me, um, the role of the governors, and I chair the board of governors as well as chairing the board of the trust as well, but we wear slightly different hats when we actually do that. So they are an incredibly important constituent part. So they're represented from both South Tyneside and Sunderland, but also Gateshead and Durham as well, because mm -hmm. we provide services into both of those localities as well. And it's incredibly important that we see them as a representation of the public that we serve, because actually, ultimately, that's what we're about. Um, and they hold us to account for delivering great services, safe services, and engendering a really good culture in our organisation that enables people to be open and honest and transparent and come to work really wanting to do their very best every day. So that's really the role of my job, is to, to make sure that all of that governance um, is fully transparent for everybody to see, but really works well. Absolutely. And you mentioned there that people, and I think this is a, a common uh, theme that we see in the NHS and people that work in the NHS, that they're generally very passionate about what they do and wanting to serve the public and uh, help people. Can we talk a little bit about our staff? Yeah, um, I know since you've become the chair, you've been out and about and met um, lots of colleagues. And I guess we've been through a really, really difficult few years with, with the pandemic and heading into a winter period, um, the pressures on the services across all parts of the organisation are just relentless and, and growing year on year. And it's the staff that keep that all going day to day. What what have you, um, when you've been out and about, what have you felt from, from some of the staff? What conversations have you had? And I guess what would you like to, what message would you like to give them today when, when they're listening? So what I love about going out and about is, is that people um, are very keen to talk to you and they tell you everything. <laughs> and I love it. I really love it because we're not just here to hear this positive sound bites and, you know, I don't expect people to sweep up before us coming, coming in and show us just the best foot forward. And what I've always found in the 10 years that I've actually been on, on an NHS board is that people are genuinely 
honest and will tell you how it is. Um, and that is the real benefit of getting out and about and speaking to people in their own workplace and meeting people where they are day in, day out. So I hear um, people are tired. Um, I'm in huge admiration of the resilience that people have, have shown during the pandemic. And it feels sometimes that we've gone from the glory days of people standing on their doorsteps and clapping and banging their pans to kind of a business as usual. And in certain areas, I think there's aspects that disturb me about some of the, the challenges that our staff have to face from members of the public, not just, and this is where I used to think, you know, does it just happen in our emergency departments and A&E and things like that? But actually it's not, it's day in, day out. And so I think the resilience and the way that people continue to, to you know, manage our patients in some difficult environments, I think we can't um, kind of skirt around those types of issues. I really get it. And we have to do the best we can to protect our staff and to work with our staff um, to deliver the best outcomes for our patients. But the thing that really kind of, um, you know, gets to me is how compassionate and how incredibly diligent our staff are day in, day out. And I see that in, in spades, not just when I go out and visit, but actually um, because I live in the local area and always have done, I've got friends, family, um, and my own family are service users as well. Absolutely. And you just see the wonderful stuff that goes in day in, day out. And the one thing I would say to staff is never, ever forget the impact that you have on the patients that you look at, on the colleagues that you share the same um, kind of wards with or officers with or, you know, the same same challenges with day in, day out. Um, because, you know, at the heart of it, and we know people have tough lives and they have to leave that behind and step through the front door and care for our communities that we serve. And it's not just in hospital, as I've said, it's people who walk into people's houses. Mm -hmm. At times that can be really, really challenging to walk in the middle of people in crises because we deal with people who are incredibly sick or in incredibly challenged at different parts of their life. And we have to do it with a smile on our face and we have to do it in in the way that, you know, we we live into the values that we set out for the trust. And I just totally applaud all of our staff who do that day in, day out and leave their own problems behind to be able to do that as well. And I totally recognise that. Here, here. You mentioned there um, about our values and, and, and I guess one of the things we've tried to do as a trust over the past few years in particular is put a real focus on staff health and wellbeing. Um, and that's come through hopefully loud and clear in our new strategy that we've launched as well. Can we talk a little bit around that and the work we've done to to launch that strategy because that really has come from what we've heard from staff and, and putting the focus on you know what's going to make their lives easier when they are having to deal with such pressures. Yeah so just to give a little bit of background um, so this is at the heart of everything that I have spent my previous corporate life doing is about kind of how do we work with people to be the best they can be every day to get the best results for either the organisations that we've worked with and now within 
the NHS. So I'm absolutely passionate about that because we cannot deliver the best service to our either customers, if you're in that world, or our patients, unless you feel good in yourself and you feel well supported and you feel well valued. And there's tons of research around this that I really feel passionate about. And one of my other jobs is that I'm a personal development coach. Um, but I've actually taken that out into different areas. And it's not just executives that I work with, but it's people who are in real need of support in delivering and developing their jobs. And I can talk about some of the stuff that I've done in Africa wow. um, and around the wider world and some incredible lessons to be learned about the simplicity of their lives and how complicated our lives <laughs> all are. But I feel really passionate about it. And it's just been really heartwarming to see the work that you, Liz, and the team that you've done in listening and doing listening events because we can't put health and well-being strategies in for our staff if we don't know what it is that they want and we have to listen hard and I think that's a real skill and I think all of our um, everybody whether you're a leader in this organisation I talk about leadership at all levels by the way I don't think leadership is the top of an organisation everyone in the organisation is a leader you lead your patients, you lead your colleagues, everything that you do. So we need to support people in that culture to be great leaders in everything that they do, whichever area of the operations that, that you work in. So listening is the first thing, and I'm delighted to see the, the Let's Talk events being so successful and people turning up to that. As I said, when I'm out and about, people don't hold back and telling us what they think. We can just kind of pick the good bits out of that, but hopefully my brand of chairmanship, if I can call it that with my marketing hat on, would be <laughs> to really listen hard and, and listen yeah. to what people are saying and then supporting people in whatever packages of support. And some of that can be really acute stuff where people are really struggling, but some of it is just about kind of supporting people to 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 be their best when they walk through the front door every day absolutely yeah i think you know thank you for for your comments there that the stuff we try to do with the team talk is is exactly what you're saying yeah. there so making sure that we're listening all the time it's not just a you know a one-off that we build that culture of really listening to what staff are going through and what we can do to adapt and change and support people um I just picked up on a word you said there, which is going to lead me nicely into my next question, um, when you said chairmanship. Um, but I think you're probably quite unique as a woman uh, chair uh, in the NHS. I'm not sure about the corporate world. Perhaps there's, there's more female uh, leaders in that sphere. But you've had a very successful and influential, I guess, um, role as a senior woman leader Um what challenges have you faced along the way um, as a woman at, at, the, at the top of your game, if you like? And, and what advice would you give to any people listening, bearing in mind that the majority of the NHS workforce, uh, I think, is, is a female, certainly in our trust, uh, yeah. a female-dominated um, landscape? Yeah. Um, sometimes it's not easy um, because I think still a lot of the family responsibilities fall onto females as well. It's not always the case, but it's often the case, certainly my case. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, so I've got two boys who are now in their 20s, but obviously at the 
ascendancy of my career and my boys were, were, were young and small and you have to make choices about whether you go to their play or their carol concert and and those are really really tough choices when when you're a mom and you you have to do all of those those things as well um but the rewards i think can be really substantial because i think when we talk about equality and diversity um i think having a female voice around a senior leadership table is really important i think often we bring a different a different perspective i think uh, often we um, can think slightly differently to our, our male colleagues. Um, and I've got to say, I have never felt ostracised in anything that I've done, even in the big bad corporate world that I've come <laughs> from. And just to give you a flavour of um, some of the stuff I did in Northern Rock wasn't just kind of turning up in Gosforth and doing a job internally, but I actually travelled the world um, selling the Northern Rock story and selling corporate bonds to the financial markets. And that was very heavily male dominated. Um, but I think like anything, if you work hard at what you do and you um, don't try to be something you're not. So authenticity is a really important value, I would say. Don't try and pretend you're a, you know, you're a, you're a man when you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you're a female with some real strong attributes to bring and I think if you if you just kind of be yourself every day but bring your best self every day I think I think that's that's the the thing that I would say mm -hmm. over 80% of our workforce are female I'm really proud to work in an organization that has that um but I do recognize it's tough because we have to wear multiple hats I'll give you a story when I went uh, <laughs> when I when we were went through the financial crisis. I was the only female at the senior leadership table at that time. Um, and people were camping out in the office because we had lots of big pressures at the time. You'll remember when there was queues around the block. I do. When people were trying to take their money out. That was a very, very high pressured environment and organisation. I couldn't simply camp out in an office. I had my kids at home and I have a very supportive husband, but, you know, I still had big responsibilities at home. Um, and and so it felt like there was a bit of a macho thing to kind of do those types of things. And I thought I can be much more of an extraordinary leader if I get some balance back in this. So because I had to, I did. Mm -hmm. um, but that really centred me because actually it reminded me that whilst we're going through all of this, my family is the most important thing. And I think it keeps you grounded. And I think as a female, those types of kind of reminders keep you keep you grounded, but give you balance back. And I think the next day I came into work and I had way more energy yeah. than lots of other people. So I think just reminding yourself and really having to kind of fit, keep your feet on the ground because you have to wear so many hats yeah. really gives you an edge in business. And I think it gives you an edge strategically as well there is one other chair in the region right and okay Gateshead. of course and yeah. she happens to be called Alison as well oh, wow. <laughs> so she's a recurring called, theme it's a recurring theme <laughs> so she she's called Alison Marshall uh, and I have met with her as well and um, she comes from a legal background very different background to me 
but it's great that we have at least one other absolutely uh, female chair in the region. And I suppose it's not just about um, females or males, but we put a lot of focus as well around equality and inclusivity, diversity across the whole organisation. Yeah. So having representation from all different groups of people, not only on the board and the exec team, but in all of our teams. And I really, um, what you just said there about don't change who you are really struck a chord with me. Don't try and be something you're not. So I think, I guess as an organisation, we we value everybody's input and, and worth and we encourage everybody to, to follow their aspirations. 100%, and I couldn't say that more passionately than the way I feel about it. I think, um, you know, just being a representative a representative of the wider community, I think, makes me really proud, particularly within the NHS. Um, I'm sure Ngozi won't mind me saying, um, but she has a Nigerian background. Do you want to just explain who Ngozi is for people who might not appreciate? Oh, great, great yeah, thing. So, yeah. She's our vice chair. Yeah. And um, she actually, um, so I interviewed her when we were looking for an independent non-executive director for um, Stickle, which looks after Haven Court. Yes. And I was the chair of the holdings company um, for Haven Court. Um, and that was our first foray into kind of the care sector. And again, I'm really proud to say that we took a big decision as, at South Tyneside. And that has helped the hospital in terms of um, throughput of the hospital, but we were looking for an independent chair and Ngozi stood out uh, for me at that time when we went for, for the interviews for that. And then um, she came onto the board at South Tyneside and um, also came onto the board when, when we merged as well. And she's just a, a great colleague to have as my right-hand woman as Absolutely. well as Vice-Chair of the Trust. Absolutely. Yeah. And has a great skill set in terms of all of her background in the charitable sector and all of the work that she's done. So oh, Absolutely. So she's got just a fantastic background and you should do a podcast. With well, there's our next, well. our so next guest. Goes, I'm sure. <laughs> if she's listening, <laughs> we're coming to see you next. Um, okay. Let's um, let's just move on to some some other areas then. Um, can we talk a little bit about? Cause clearly, you've got your role here in the NHS and and everything you're doing for the trust. But I know that you're also involved with lots of work across the city of Sunderland, in particular in terms of the regeneration and the redevelopment of uh, the city. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Because actually, that's really important for us as a trust as well in terms of, I guess, attracting people to come to the city. Yeah, so if I take you back to 2012 when I finished at Northern Rock, um, all of my business contacts at that time had been very Newcastle-centric and Newcastle-focused because that's where our business was located in Gosforth. Um, so at that time, I was on the board of the Newcastle Gateshead Initiative, I was a member of the Chamber of Commerce, etc., etc. Um, but I'd had very little to do with the business community in Sunderland at that time, even though we had our office in Duxford. Um, and I guess the only time I really kind of touched the business community in the south of the region was when the bank was in crisis at that time and how we were managing that, because that became a much wider regional job. But I was really pleased to be, um, to be invited to come along to a business group 
within Sunderland and hear a little bit about how the business community was coming together with the support of the local authority but was really trying to drive change in the city and change meant real transformational change and so I came along to a couple of those meetings and um, it was great because I felt as if I was incognito as well because not many people knew me at the time <laughs> so that was a great experience but because I had some time on my hands I um, volunteered to do a couple of things and the first thing I did was to work with my colleagues to set up a business improvement district and that was critically important because they are legal entities they started their life I was reminded of a meeting this morning in New York wow. and be, they were you know USA phenomenons but were growing um, in the UK but we didn't have one in Sunderland um, and basically what they do what they're there to do is to be a voice for business um, within a city centre boundary and it was really important that we took all of the businesses big and small along that journey with us because they have to vote and you have to go through a proper um, kind of voting procedure which we worked with the city council to do but the important thing is is they have the potential to bring and access millions of pounds worth of funding mm-hmm. so um, in my inimitable fashion um, I gathered a team around me and worked um, right across the business community and with the local authorities to bring our first business improvement district and we did that in 2012 and they have to get voted in every five years we're in the second term now (laughs) and I was reminded again today that the next time it has to get voted in is 2024 so wow not um, far away so it's not far far away but that has really been underpinning, I think, to the transformation of the city because it's given us a voice at the table to bring the right people into the city to ignite the transformational change. And that's not just the people who are at the leadership team within the city council who are responsible for all this change, but also um, welcoming investors and investment. And I guess this takes me all the way back to the job that I did within Northern Rock. I was used to mm-hmm. speaking at that level and encouraging people to come in and see the future of the city. And I can't be more prouder than I can see within Sunderland today all of the transformation around the Riverside development. I was just going to say, you're really starting to see that now, aren't yeah. you? All that groundwork and all that effort that you've put in over more yeah. than a decade. And I can't take all the credit for <laughs> that. You know, I'm just kind of... Um, the person who can connect people mm-hmm. to, to do great stuff and uh, hopefully, you know, everybody, everybody who works here, who lives in Sunderland can really begin to see that transformational difference. And I know we've got a long way to go. I know we've got a terrible train station, but it is being redeveloped. <laughs> and I know the retail experience is still lacking and wanting but hopefully you can start seeing because of businesses, if big businesses can come into Sunderland, it creates demand and it creates footfall and it creates other great businesses to come in. So we've got a botanist that's coming, you know, all those. Wow, it's exciting. Um, you know, great food and drink and beverage things. Absolutely. Much more to come on that score as well. Of course, the most important part of the Riverside Sunderland uh, redevelopment is uh, very close to the trust and that's our new eye hospital um, which will hopefully see some work start on that next spring yeah 
what are your thoughts around that? It's obviously a big, big part of our ambition for the future, but great that that's finally coming to fruition as well. Super excited about that because I think the eye hospital has had many, many decades of just being such a fantastic um, hospital um, and does amazing stuff from research and development to to really being one of the three major centres in the UK. And I'm super proud that it's part of, of who we are and part of the fabric of our trust. Um, but I think the buildings were quite tired. Um, it was in the middle of a residential area, which on the one hand has been fantastic because it's been at the heart of our community. So we have to work really hard to ensure that people have great accessibility to the new hospital. But I'm super excited because I think the building itself leads itself to being, you know, um, modern and new and will enable us to attract the best clinicians, but still deliver a service which is really at the heart of the community that we serve, not just in Sunderland and South Tyneside in the region, but actually we have national people who will come to see our, hosp our eye hospital for, for really what it is. Yeah. Super proud of that one. That, yeah. makes, that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got lots of things happening in South Tyneside as well. So in terms of, uh, particularly on the, the hospital site redevelopment and the new integrated diagnostic centre, yeah. which is coming along at pace now. I don't know when the last time you were on site in South Tyneside, but the building's pretty much uh, up now and we're just working on the interior. How much of a, uh, I guess, important development is that for, for the trust and for patients, most importantly? Yeah, well... Again, I'm just so excited to see the development. And I know it was one of the things that our communities, our patients and our staff were really nervous about at South Tyneside. You know, would we get gobbled up by the whole big Sunderland thing? And would we get left behind? Would it feel like we were a second relation? I hope you get a sense that I'm very passionate because I've lived in South Tyneside and have my DNA there really in many respects with my school and my children being born there, so passionate about making sure that we we grow the site at South Tyneside and we have loads more developments that we can't really talk about, but I'm really, really excited about the next wave. So to answer your specific question, I was there just um, last week. It's brilliant to see the new diagnostic centre. Um, and that seems to have just shot up in such a short space of time. It, has, it really just... has our office backs onto it and uh, it's all of a sudden it's there. And it it's is. really exciting to see. Um, yeah. Really exciting. And, but that's way more important for our patients that we serve, that they get the best possible care within that you know, brand new, fantastic environment as well. And that's what we're about. And that's one of the things, you know, post-COVID, people getting their access to the diagnostic tests and scans. So within the facility, we'll have the MRI scanners, CT scanners. But one of the real um, things that we're most proud of is that we're going to have a PET CT scanner, um, which for people who are listening who are not familiar with that, it's a, it's a specialist scan that our patients currently have to go down to Middlesbrough or up to Newcastle. And it's often used in cancer diagnosis. So to have one of those in South Tyneside is a real coup for the trust, I think, and for the, the patients that are going to benefit from it. So I don't use this word lightly, but I would say it's a game changer for, for the trust and for the populations of both South Tyneside and Sunderland as well. 
um, you know, the more we can do within the communities that we serve, the better it is because I'm a real advocate for trying to, you know, the, the word levelling up is bandied around a bit, but we do have some sick populations between South Tyneside and Sunderland and we can't disadvantage them by having to send them to places that they're not used to travelling. Um, so I do think it's really important that we are very sighted on the immediate needs of the communities that we serve. So to see that and to see the, you know, the, the PET scanner um, being there to serve directly our own populations is is just brilliant. Yeah. It's great. And it, it's the start of many things that are Absolutely. That I side. have noted the other exciting developments, so we'll have to get you back for uh, <laughs> another episode. Yeah. But there's some things happening within the hospital too that's worth mentioning um, because people probably won't, well, they won't see, see them, but we're, we've got a new intensive care unit yeah. that is pretty much uh, nearing completion as well, um, which is fantastic and it'll bring the facilities right up to date in South Tyneside. And we've just opened a new endoscopy suite there as well. So the general public, if you, hopefully you're not having to use these facilities, but patients and people that are in there can hopefully see all of the investment that we are putting into um, the local the local hospital in the in the borough. Yeah, without a doubt. And it, it is fantastic to see. On one of my walkabouts when I was at South Tyneside, um you know, the, the environment, the intensive care environment um, was one of the areas that the board had for concern and that was one of the things that we were very keen to invest in. So having the opportunity to do that and to see the the, the change that's happening down there I think is is fantastic. I say down there only because we're doing this interview here <laughs> up, up in Sunderland. So. I can't believe how time is flying uh, on, on, on this podcast. Um, I've got a couple more questions yeah. um, and then we'll wrap it up and look forward to inviting you back for episode two in the future. Away from work, Alison, how do you um, switch off, relax? Uh, you know, you talked about your family life, but I think your kids have, have grown a bit older now. So what's, what do you do? Well, how do you look after your own health and well-being? And what's Alison like outside of work? Oh, blimey. Um... Well, I do have a busy family life because um, not only, I th- again, this comes back to kind of females in work. Um, I've kind of done the full circle. So my parents are aging. They've been a central part of, of where we are. They're in their late 80s now and we have to do a bit more looking after um, our parents as well. So that keeps me very grounded as well in terms of where I am. I really feel very passionate about um looking personally at my own health and well-being so um so i do quite a lot of um running um i'm absolutely hopeless and what i would say is i'm probably more of a plodder but it gets me out every day so i set myself a target of at least 15 minutes every day just to put my wow. trainers on and get out there um and i also believe really strongly as we as we age, particularly us females, of doing a little bit more kind of strength training and things like that. So I really believe in keeping as fit as I can. <laughs> Some of the mad things I do. <laughs> um, so we, myself and Sean, my husband, have um, we do tandem riding. So people think that that's quite a genteel thing. And I've had, been sent many memes about people on their tandems. But we do tandem racing on racing bikes. Wow, racing. Racing. 
So we um, have supported the Foundation of Light charity cycle ride every year. And um, so how we ended up doing that was um, Sean was um, a really great cyclist. He's grown up with cycles and um, and whilst I've been fit, I've never been a cyclist. And I went out with some people to see whether I'd be good enough to do the charity cycle ride. And they politely said to me, well, I think you might be a year off. <laughs> so instead of saying, no, I don't think she'll ever get there. Um, and, and that was probably because I hadn't been on a bike since I was eight year old and I had tassels in a basket on the last bike, single bike that I had. Um, but somebody just out of the blue said, um, well, why don't you do it on a tandem? And my husband said straight away, you must be kidding. And I went, what a great idea. So, <laughs> and the rest um, is history. And the rest is history. So we've, we've done some amazing things and we have got better every year. Um, so much so that we've, we've cycled um, from Poland to Prague, from the east coast to the west coast of France. We've done Brussels to Paris. Wow. Um, we've just done uh, Pisa to Rome, which was uh, in the summertime. We obviously had a, a bit of a, a break during the pandemic, but we're keen to get back on. So the thing about tandem riding is, is it's tough. It's really I can tough. imagine it's even harder than trying to ride a normal bike. Well, you've got hard. to balance both of you. On, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so the thing you don't do very often is stop, because if you do... <laughs> It's really hard to get going again, and we're both clipped in. So people say, "Oh, with me on the back, um, you know, is it, is it all done by the person on the front? Do I put my feet up?" Well, I can assure you, it's really not clipped that in. Way. That means your feet are clipped into the pedals, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. So you can't you can't stop, and you're literally in tandem. I now understand what that means. <laughs> um, so you can't stop if one stops. We both stop. Um, the first time I did it was Dublin to Sunderland, um, and we got a ferry in between. We didn't kind of cycle on water, um, but we fell off twice. <laughs> he jumped off, and I fell off. Oh dear! So uh, it could we have didn't ended... see you in Sunderland Royal Air, did we? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. It could have ended our tandem riding career there and then, but we stuck with it. So, um, so yeah, and we get up to speeds of 47 mile an hour on the downhills. Crumbs. Um, our sweet spot is downhills and, and on the flats because we really pick up speed. Um, so we have to make up time on there because when we hit the uphills, we are, we, it's literally Trouble. like a juggernaut going up a hill. So, <laughs> so that's a sample of what wow. we do on the tandem. Varied out of work activities yeah. <laughs> so the next thing we're doing so i also i've climbed kilimanjaro so i love trekking and i love climbing and had never done that i challenged myself on my 50th birthday to do that i'm 57 now so i feel like a an old bird um but i've continued to do those types of things I actually cycled myself in the masai mara a couple of years in kenya yes. Um, and also climbed in the Atlas Mountains and done all kinds. So next week, we're off to climb Machu Picchu. And for the first Where's that? time... Sorry. So that's in Peru. Peru, right, OK. So um, so it's at altitude. It's an eight-day trek. 
I'm doing it for a charity called COCO, which is Children of Comrades Overseas. Mm -hmm. And it provides um, education facilities, particularly for girls in East Africa. So it's absolutely an amazing charity. And we'll be doing that next week. And I've persuaded Sean to do it. He's never done my climbs before. Right. Um, so this is the first time he'll be doing that. Um, so, yeah. That'll be exciting. I don't know how you find the time to fit it all in. I feel exhausted just listening. <laughs> so then, I guess that's brought us um, towards the end of our podcast. What's next? What's the next six months for you as chair? Anything on the horizon or any uh, things that you're lo looking forward to, particularly over the next six months that you want to end on or any final yeah. thoughts or comments? So um, I'm very aware that we'll be hurtling into winter pressures. And actually, it feels like we're already in winter by the, the actual volume um, of, of patients and, and service users that we've got. So our job is really how do we support the organisation to, to scale up where we need to and what is it that we need to put in place. So we're very much aware of that. Um, for, for any nerds out there who really kind of understand the wider system we have an integrated care system which came into being at the beginning of July and we will be working at a regional level to see how we can support each other at a regional level so from a board perspective this will be where Ken and I will be focusing um, ourselves our team and our board to make sure that we can deliver the best possible safe care to our customers during the winter period or to our patients during the winter period. So that's going to be a real key focus. At the same time, we've got the eye hospital to build, so that's really exciting. And we've also got the diagnostic centre to get fitted out and, and get all that going and open you know, our, our uh, intensive care unit as well and make sure in amongst all of that that we've got these exciting developments but we're very alert and aware to what's happening on the ground as well. So all I would say is to, to anyone who's listening, we're here for you. You know, we will be getting the board out and about doing many, many more visits. We've really missed it during the pandemic. Um, be open and honest to us. We're there to listen, we're there to hear. Not just the great stuff that's going on, but also we're here to hear, you know, how it feels um, kind of at the call face day in day out as well and how we can support you with all of the, the interventions we can put in place so that you can deliver brilliant care for, for our patients. Alison, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.